This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back in. It's the final edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast for the year of 2020. And it turns out this is episode number 93 on the year. Sean, we got a bunch to get into. This is a different December than we've ever experienced covering college football, covering it here in Happy Valley. But just let that sink in for a second. Reflect on it. 93 episodes here in 2020. What a ride it has been. And a huge, huge appreciative shout out to everyone who has listened along the way. Yeah, and we're not math guys, as you know, but that's uh, like one every four days or just under one every four days. So we appreciate uh, those of you that were able to be along or come along on this ride with us, even though it's been a ridiculous year. Um, but yeah, we kept up our two podcasts a week throughout the season. We appreciate everybody for consuming that and sticking with us and, and making us uh, one of your favorite podcasts. We really appreciate it. We dropped one episode last week, brought on Mark Brennan to, to really dive into some postseason conversation, reflect on things, discuss some you know team awards and all that stuff. We're moving fully into offseason mode because the offseason has come really quickly. Um, and, and Sean, it's just we got to catch up. Let's first off start here. A big commitment may be coming for Penn State later this week, and we're going to preview that. But first, this roster right now is a revolving door. It is very, very difficult, and you have done a tremendous job, and, and so has the 24-7 Sports Network, in, of trying to keep tabs on the transfer portal and its impact. Remember, there are still games being played right now. Big 10 programs are still on the field. We got the college football playoff, but there is really no time being wasted when it comes to transactions across college football. Penn State heavily involved. Last time we spoke we saw Pat Fryermuth declaring for the NFL, Shane Simmons declaring that he was done with his college football career, focusing on a career in business. And we also broke the news that John Lovett, running back from Baylor, was going to be a grad transfer for Penn State. That's where we left off last Tuesday. So much has happened, Sean. Where do you want to start? I mean, it, it's it's been crazy because we thought, you know, after this season, you might see a little bit of a lull, but really it's coming in waves and it's coming from from all sides. I mean, there's recruiting's been quiet, but it's been replaced by the transfer portal. We've seen Penn State come out and be aggressive in the transfer portal like we said they would be. And let's be honest, I mean, we kind of had our doubts when we talked about, uh, you know, whether or not Penn State would approach this full bore, and it appears they have. There's three transfers that have come in. There's a couple of guys that, uh, you know, have hit the road. Uh, we, we were wondering last episode what would happen with those six-year and fifth-year guys. We've got answers from some of them, still waiting out answers from from others. And it's just been a lot of comings and goings. You've been documenting it in uh, your roster tracker. We even made a graphic for it. That's how important and how active it has been. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a lot of ins and outs. And let's start with uh let's start with the guys that we know on the roster. I mean the the guys that 
are making decisions that really aren't too surprising. Um, Will Fries and Shaka Tony both would be six year guys, um, you know, announcing that they're moving on. It's funny, uh, because everything's a story now. I mean, it's, it's six year guys have that opportunity to come back. So when they do the normal thing and move on and do what they're supposed to do and enter the draft or say that they're going to be training for the draft or whatever, all of a sudden it's become a story. And that's pretty funny in itself. Um, but you got Will Fries moving on. You got Shaka Tony moving on. Michael Mennett's not out there yet, but he'll, he will be moving on. He signed with an agent. It's going to be training down in Florida for the draft. Um, so pretty typical, still waiting out some decisions there. But before you get into that, you get these underclassmen decisions. Pat Fryermuth obviously going to the pros. He's going to be followed by Jason Oway. Not exactly a surprising decision. I think this is one that we've kind of been waiting for even since before the season. We thought maybe this is a possibility that he jumped ship then, um, but played seven games, was an all Big Ten selection, and now he's off to the NFL. I think that's going to be a decision that a lot of people will argue about. I, I mean, I, I will sit here and, and tell you that Jason Oway is better than his numbers showed, but at the same time, I'll sit here and say, Jason Oway's numbers should have been better when you talk about sacks and, and and things like that. So, uh, very interesting sort of um, back and forth tug of war there with Jason away. But the, the fact remains, Penn State will have to replace two starters at defensive end uh, entering the 2021 season. However, you feel about Jason Oway's numbers on the field through his seven games in 2020, there's some numbers looming over the course of this winter and over the course of this draft prospect that he will produce uh, on the path to the NFL draft. And those numbers are going to be important too. And that's what we're anticipating from Jason Oway. That has been the looming story since his recruitment, what this kid can do from a physical athletic standpoint. You know, the term freak is, is thrown around way too often. He warrants it. We, we know that very well. He was also a first-team conference selection by the Big Ten coaches, a second-team conference selection uh, by the, uh, the media members. And, and you had Shaka Tony, Jason Away. I think you documented this. First time this century that you've had two guys earn first-team defensive end recognition from the Big Ten coaches. So that's a lot to replace. We already talked about Shane Simmons moving on from his college football career. And, um, you know, he finished up pretty strong here. And with Jason Away missing the last couple games, uh, had himself – uh, a career day against Michigan State, uh, quiet against uh, Illinois for the most part, but he's a guy that has that experience. So all of a sudden, Sean, at defensive end, Adiza Isaac, who's going to carry and retain that sophomore status into 2021, has not started a game. He is your most experienced defensive end. We're going to talk about how the transfer portal might impact going down the road, but I think the confirmation that Jason Oway is leaving, uh, that Shaka Tony is not going to pick up that sixth senior season, Neither of those are necessarily surprising, um, but but now that they are you know finalized, it really puts that defensive end position in a spotlight for an unknown factor moving forward. Well, it's the reality of the situation just hitting us. I mean, that's really what, what's coming upon us. I mean, we didn't expect either of those guys back. So yeah, you figured you'd have to get in there and replace them. I think you probably expected to see more of Adisa Isaac on the field. I know I did this uh, coming into the season, expected to see more of him on the field this year, expected to see a little bit more of Smith Vilbert as well. Nick Tarburton, uh, it's just essentially a wild card for his entire career just based off of his injury history. So, I mean, it's it's not looking great there at defensive end when you're talking about depth and talent, guys ready to step in. Bryce Mostella, as we know, has been a, a, a guy that, you know, you're projecting two or three years down the road, maybe making an impact, uh, not asking him to be ready as a redshirt freshman. So definitely a spot that they're going to address, going to have to address, and really no way around it. I mean, whether that comes with position changes, whether it comes through the portal, which is probably the, the most expected reality here. Uh, 
year. Uh, yeah, they're going to have to do something at defensive end to sort of address that. But I mean, let's be honest, it's it's exactly what we expected them to to, to have to do this offseason. So uh, they hit the hit hit it with a plan, and hopefully, you know, they'll be moving in that direction fairly soon. Like I said, I think it's going to be very interesting to follow the portal all offseason, not just this time right now, because you look at the pool of players that are in the portal and there's some good ones and Penn State's gotten some really good ones out of the portal so far. Um, but, you know, there's only a couple of guys worth going after at certain certain positions. You need to decide if you're ready to move and this is going to be either the best you see or the best of what's around there. And, and you can move on to maybe, uh, you know, maybe after the, the playoff comes in and, and you get some new, more opportunities there. Maybe after spring ball comes along, guys get the, that degree agree um, and maybe move on from previous institutions. So this is going to be a, something where I don't think you're going to see a, a finality to it until next summer, until you can f- kind of figure out where these guys stand, especially at a position like defensive end that is so wide open. We're going to talk a lot about the portal. We'll continue to do that in the weeks ahead. But uh, coming up in just a bit, you'll hear from uh, Baylor analyst uh, Tim Watkins, who covers things for our 24-7 sports site, Bears Illustrated. He covered the Baylor recruitment and the Baylor career of running back John Lovett, who was the first incoming transfer portal uh, confirmed here by 24-7 Sports. Uh, He'll be joining Penn State in 2021. You'll get a a bit of a, a lowdown, five, six, seven minutes or so from Tim on what Lovett brought to Baylor from the start to the finish of his career and what he thinks uh, this move might mean uh, for Lovett and, and why it made sense. So uh, uh, some insight there coming your way, but let's stick with this group really quickly. I, I wanted to circle back a couple notes here. Shaka Tony, um, just tremendous physical and, and fundamental uh, tr- you know, development throughout his career. He, he's a great guy to point to in saying you can develop a player, um, you know, an important glue guy for this group coming into the 2020 year with Sean Spencer moving on to the NFL and John Scott Jr. Uh, coming in, taking over that job during a pandemic. Uh, but eighth all time, Sean, in career sacks, Shaka Tony finishes up in a Nittany Lions uniform. That, that is nothing to sneeze at. 20 and a half sacks for his career it ended up with 29 and a half tackles for loss as well and then going over this st- uh the career of will fries real quick i know a lot of people kind of uh were never blown away by will fries and and you know you don't see that reflected really in the big 10 notoriety some of the postseason stuff i think he got what honorable mention uh maybe a third team this year if i'm if i'm thinking that correctly but 42 total starts for Will Fries over the course of his career after redshirting in 2016. We saw him, I think, at three different positions, two of them this year, right tackle, right guard, moved inside as Caden Wallace, the redshirt freshman, stepped up. Um, he's a guy who has provided that versatility. He has not been, you know, the, the stalwart of the offensive line, the, 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 the tone setter that I think some people hope that he could maybe develop into. But, uh, you know, played a lot of football. He was available to do it. And at the same time, I mean, he's a guy that showed off his ability to to help you uh, juggle some things up front during the course of his career. Yeah, I think two guys that are going to be, you know, um, classically underrated by Penn State fans in terms of you think about what you get with Shaka Tony and you think about the Indiana game and the burst and then you think – nothing else because that, that, that high was so high. And then, you know, the, the, the rest of it was just kind of, you know, it was, it was good. It was, it was fine, but it wasn't that high. Um, Will Fries, you're going to think of him going against Chase Young and you're going to think he's a, a bad player because of it. Will Fries over the last two years has probably been Penn State's most consistent offensive lineman. I, I kind of think of him as Ryan Bates. He's not going to blow you away. He's not going to put guys on their ass or anything like that. Um, but he's going to come along and he's going to be solid for you. We saw what happened when 
they moved him to guard this year, kind of took off from that aspect, helped out Caden Wallace on the outside. So, I mean, I mean Will Fry is pretty solid player over the last couple of years, and and people are going to, you know, uh, just gravitate to the the extreme lows of him going one-on-one with Chase, Chase Young, um, and that's really probably kind of unfair to his legacy. So two guys that I think probably better than you would think, just based off, you know, he just put in what, or excuse me, you look at what they have done over the last couple of years. You, you put in the, I think this is kind of where we get away from things. You put on the highlight tape and the, the low light tape for for some of these guys, and you sort of attach yourself to that. You put in the entire body of work, and things kind of change. And I think that that's really where where things uh, with these guys' legacies are probably you know going to be different than what we saw on a game to game basis. The eighty percent in between those two opposite ends of the spectrum is important to note there, and and uh, I think you know we talk about Tony, we talk about Fries. You mentioned Mennett moving on, uh, another player moving on, but staying in college football, Sean Antonio Shelton. As we shift gears from those leaving for the NFL draft, and there are still more questions to be answered there. Whether it's seniors, you've got Jahan Dotson as of this recording on Wednesday afternoon has not announced what he plans to do. Maybe he won't announce, and he'll just continue showing up to the Penn State football facility in 2021. But after the year he had, you can certainly wonder whether he's ready to make the move off to the pro ranks. But Antonio Shelton, a starter for the last couple of years, Sean, a a guy who's going to be 24 years old before next season kicks off, not staying with Penn State, is going, though, to capitalize on that extra year of eligibility granted by the NCAA for all seniors and all players. And it sounds like he's generated some Power 5 interest. Yeah, that's um, that's a scenario that really, when we were talking about it last week, I said Shelton could really help himself by playing a sixth year. You really didn't think of that that whole scenario in your head of saying, okay, well, maybe he's going to use that sixth year else, elsewhere because that's that's a lot to ask of a guy that's going to be 24 next season. Um, but apparently wants that, that that's the route he wants to go. Um, you know, I think probably felt you know his ceiling had been reached and and Penn State I think 6 years is a long time to be around you know it's 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 really one of those situations where you can see that you know after after the fact going back and say okay he's going to keep playing but he's not going to play at Penn State you say okay that kind of makes sense you know time has passed all that kind of stuff it's been interesting to see the market for him. I think Florida's been in, uh, interested. Florida State's been interested. Michigan has been a team that's popped up on the radar. Just judging by people that have asked me for contact info, asked me for thoughts on Shelton, I, th- I think there's a pretty sizable market. I mean, I, I, I think he's been a solid player. I don't think he's going to be a guy that comes in and changes anything for any sort of team wherever he ends up. Um, but, you know, more power to him. He's got some interest. He's got some, you know, legitimate good schools. He's a really good student. So, you know, goes and gets a graduate degree or another degree from somewhere else, going to help himself out. But like I said, I, like I said last episode, if he left Penn State right now to go to the NFL, I didn't think he'd be drafted and, you know, might as well maximize your, uh, you know, your abilities going to maximize your exposure and all that kind of stuff. And he's going to have to do it elsewhere. Shelton's a guy we'll remember uh, hyping up his teammates before the games, often at the center of that circle with the defensive line the last couple of years. A lot of emotional energy uh, from Shelton, who, by the way, two and a half of his career sacks, uh, six total sacks in his career, two and a half of them coming in the last two contests of 2020. He ended up appearing in 40 Nittany Lions games, starting 21, going back to the 2019 season. Also on the defensive line and also at defensive tackle, this has really been uh, the, the 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 spotlight position room so far, Sean, as defensive line. We talked about the three defensive ends that are leaving. We're going to talk about an incoming prospect in a bit there. Uh, but you're also losing a third-year player, Judge Culpepper, a redshirt sophomore this year, guy who came to campus in 2018. Um, it, 
didn't materialize for him. We saw some expanded opportunities. Uh, we, we, he made a move during the 2019 year, uh, kind of jumped some other guys that, that were there. But over the course of this year, it became more apparent that Akeem Beeman was flashing more during the course of his redshirt freshman season. think there'd be the opportunities for snaps, but it, it, I think you mentioned this. It checks off a lot of, of the things you might see in, in, a, in a kid looking to hit the transfer portal. He's from the Florida area. By the way, dad's a, dad's a former Gators star. But, you know, it just, you know, new new position coach. There's a lot of things that you can look at there. But at the same time, I felt like maybe the opportunity was there for him to make it worth sticking around in 2021. But I think that was, what, a couple hours before Antonio Shelton announced his decision, you had Judge Goldpupper saying that he was going to enter the portal. Yeah, so I would say a mild surprise. But when you take a look into the factors, as you mentioned, that, that go into this sort of thing, you know, being far away from home, new position coach, you know, you you kind of have been passed up by a guy that's younger than you in Hakeem Beam. And I, th- I thought we'd see more from Judge Culp pepper this year i thought we'd see um you know more stride yeah i think we'd see more while he was out there i, I mean he just kind of he was just kind of out there um um i think a lot of judge Kelpepper. i think he's a hard worker i think he's a guy that that's been fun to have around and things like that but you know just haven't hasn't reached that ceiling for whatever reason and when we talk about defensive tackle that's the first thing that we bring up there are so many bodies in that room so many guys that you know are trying to break through and trying to do uh what they can do to get onto the field and you know something's got to give at some point and uh, Culpepper was the guy apparently yeah and and there's been a lot of names talked about there judge Culpepper also playing special teams 22 games during the last couple years so he was in for every single game since the start of 2019 season after redshirting as a freshman Um, but seven total tackles to his credit uh, one sack I think it was two half sacks along the way I just never came together for him enough to to make a, a major push and become a major factor for this defensive front so looks like he'll be moving on but uh, the pendulum swings both ways these days, Sean, and, and at defensive tackle, we'll talk about the cornerback addition and coming in a second, but let's go right to, to the, the Duke veteran, uh, Derek Tangello, a uh, kid that we hope to, to have, well, not really a kid, he's, he's, a, he's a, a grad transfer, so 23 years old, 22 years old at this point. Yeah, we got we to gotta stop labeling these guys yeah, as kids. They, these, are, these are men, yeah. <laughs> thinking of resigning day mentality, but yeah, this is a guy who has played a lot of ACC football. He was a three-year starter uh, for the Duke Blue Devils, one of their most impactful defenders over recent years and um, what would appear to be a plug-and-play addition for the Penn State coaching staff. I don't know that I'm not necessarily suggesting that he's going to be the immediate starter alongside a returner like PJ Mustford. There's going to be competition involved but with the body of work this kid produced with the Blue Devils and the uh, the aggressiveness with which the Nittany Lions picked up this commitment earlier this week, uh, it adds to thinking we're going to see plenty of Derek Tangelo on 2021. I mean, I, I wouldn't see why he wouldn't have a shot to start alongside PJ Mustafer. Of, of course, Beeman's there, Hansard's there. Um, you got some young guys coming up as well, but you know, he's not, you know, he's not spending his last season somewhere to sit on the bench. So I think he's come to, uh, you know, coming to take that starting spot. He's been very consistent, 40 tackles, four tackles for loss, two sacks last year, forced three fumbles and recovered one. I mean, you, you got a guy in the middle that's going after the football. That's certainly a good thing to have. Uh, six, two, three, ten. So you kind of, you know, replace Shelton with another version of Shelton. You know, you, you hope that he can free up Mustafer and, and let him do some things and, uh, do that with the, with the guys around him. Uh, defensive tackle, obviously, you know, wasn't the, 
the need in terms of numbers or anything like that. But if you can get a guy that you can think can potentially be an all-conference guy at, at any position, it's going to influ- you know influence uh, competition. It's going to influence your the rest of your line's behavior, and you can keep those linebackers a little bit cleaner this year. And you know, I think it's a I think it's a very solid pickup for Penn State. I mean, they're bringing in guys that are looking to start and guys that I think have the talent to to push to start, and that's uh, certainly a, a good start. Something that we're going to talk about in just a bit with John Lovett, the running back out of Baylor. Uh, he's got 40-plus games to his credit. This is another guy, 45 career games as a Power 5 football player for Derek Tangelo, 114 total tackles along the way. So you're right. I mean, you're not bringing in you know a, a disgruntled second- or third-year player who didn't really do anything on the football field at another school, and he's hoping for a fresh start. You're bringing in some guys here who are hoping to cap off their careers strong with a new program. Penn State presents that opportunity, but a totally, I mean, I don't want to say totally, but a, a certainly a, a different situation when it comes to this addition at cornerback. You know, we knew defensive back was an area that James Franklin specifically referenced uh, along with defensive end on National Signing Day as, as something they were going to focus in on entering the transfer portal market and that thing, whole the whole frenzy heating up. But you know, the cornerback wasn't necessarily my first thought because we, we're going to get to Tariq Castro Fields in a moment. We'll talk about some of those remaining seniors who have not announced a decision, but he has still not come down one way or the other definitively with where he stands. Sounds like you may have him back in the fold as a fifth year senior, as a, as a bonus year. You've got those four second year players and Daquan Hardy, Keaton Ellis, Marquise Wilson, Joey Porter Jr. They've accrued significant experience under their belt. And yet, here you are, another guy from that 2019 recruiting class, a name that should be somewhat familiar for Penn State fans, and John Dixon out of the Tampa, Florida area. They were involved with that recruitment. He was close with Jordan Minor, a cornerback who signed with them in 2018, could not play with Penn State because of a heart condition. But when you look at Dixon... This kid has significant SEC experience. He, he ended up starting the game as a freshman in 2019. He's played 22 total matchups with the South Carolina Gamecocks, 37 tackles, an interception, a handful of pass breakups along the way. Uh, and he was pretty extensively involved this year. Eight games as a sophomore started. Coaching change at South Carolina. He hits the portal. He hits Happy Valley. He's been here before with an official visit. What do you make of this? Because this means you now have five players in that cornerback room who were part of that 2019 recruiting cycle. Well, before that, all three of these guys have been on campus before. They visited. Uh, Tangelo was a, a teammate of Cam Brown at the Bullis School, came up for an unofficial. John Dixon actually took an official visit. And I think uh, it was probably for the same game, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, John Lovett was from, or I could be off a year on that. Um, but it, it's it's really interesting because I think that's the type of thing that you're going to see with some of these guys um, You know that Penn State will pursue in the portal. You see these prior relationships ships. Uh, Tangelo knew Tyler Bowen from his time at Fordham and is also the area recruiter there. Dixon has been close with with Terry Smith. Of course, you mentioned Jordan Minor uh, from Tampa. So, I mean, these things, these sort of long-term relationships or maybe just kind of side contacts and things like this. John Scott, by the way, I didn't even think of this. I mean, I had thought of it before, but not while recording, but John Scott, defensive line coach at South Carolina just last year. Right, right. So, Dixon comes in. He's got an opportunity for what? For competition. That's the thing that they stressed on signing day when Franklin and Andy Frank were talking about what kind of, uh, you know, 
additions that they would like to add. And you thought, okay, well, you've got needs at defensive end, you've got needs at safety. Well, that's fine. But also you've got a need for competition all over the roster and cornerbacks a spot where that kind of fills out there. And we've seen competition from the, from that uh, 2019 group already, quite a bit of it actually. Um, we'll see what happens with that moving forward. I do expect three Castro fields to come back. And that's certainly something that, uh, you know, will, will bolster that room. And you, you got to say, do, does somebody slide over to safety or something like that? But at the same time, you're bringing a guy that started in the SEC. I know South Carolina is not, uh, you know, the top team in the SEC, but he's got a starting experience. He's he's been up there. He's been, you know, facing SEC receivers. He's he's got a different uh, sort of viewpoint on how everything is going to go. And this is a guy that's very interesting because Penn State was recruiting him, and he had a top five that included, I think, Penn State and Ohio State and Alabama and Miami and South Carolina or something like that. There was a fifth school. I don't know if it was Alabama, but it was it was a really big school. And you're thinking, okay, this guy may not have the committable offers that were that that it really works out. Well, all of a sudden, a couple Couple years later, there are a bunch of guys like this. A couple years later, they've developed, they've you know turned into to players that you thought uh, maybe we didn't think he was going to be this good. All of a sudden, you've got that relationship to fall back on. You can bring him back around. You know, he's interested in moving on after a coaching change, and that's kind of how things work in the portal. And it's uh, it, it's it's snap your fingers and it's done. <laughs> this is something that happened. I'm not sure. I forget. Dixon entered the portal uh, December 20. Or you know, it, it wasn't many days between when he entered the portal and when he made his decision. That's the kind of thing that we're looking at in the in in the transfer portal right now in terms of just turnaround time. Yeah, you. I mean, as much as we focus in on who Penn State is searching for, these guys—they're—they're they're not just accidentally stumbling into the portal. This is—they're—they're they're talking it over with their parents, or talking it over with maybe their high school coaches, whoever's in that inner circle, and saying, "What should my game plan be?" Well, one of the obvious things you would go back and fall back onto, especially in this case, where you're only a couple of years removed from from signing with the program, is. Who else did you really like? Who else did you feel that connection with, with the coaching staff, with the campus, uh, with with the locker room potentially? You look for those connections, and maybe there's some pr- surprises, uh, co- teams that contact you kind of out of the blue that you didn't have a past relationship with uh, coming from the recruiting process. But I think you're going you're gonna to kind of start off, and clearly Penn State w- was in that scope. And uh, mentioning here you know, that he was forced to play quite a bit of football. I spoke with Hale McGranahan um, from the South Carolina site on 24-7 Sports Network this week. And I'll have something written up on this in the next few days or so. Uh, but but he said, you know, South Carolina's top two cornerbacks, J.C. Horn and Israel Makuma, they both opted out. Um, and and J.C. Horn may be a, one of the top prospects in the NFL draft at that position this year. But that meant we saw a lot of John Dixon for South Carolina and during the 2019-2020 season. Big part of playing cornerback is, is, is having some tough moments and then bouncing back. You're getting a guy who probably has already dealt with that, and specifically with how it has gone for South Carolina this year. So again, you're you're not getting a player who, hmm, how will he react to adversity when he takes that? Is he going to be ready to serve up a counterpunch in coverage after blowing a play or missing an assignment or just getting straight up beat on a 50-50 ball? He's had those experiences. He brings that with you. And by the way, the cornerback room, you've still got those younger players. Uh, jo- uh, Joseph Johnson, a, a freshman who's, who did not really see any time this year. You've got the two incoming players, Kalen King. Um, and, and who am I missing at, at, at the cornerback position there? Jeffrey um, Davis. Jeffrey Davis, of course. So Kalen King will be on campus in a matter of weeks. So that is a really interesting position to watch because of the numbers you've got there, but also because of the experience you've got there. These are not players who, 
uh, you know, are, are going to be taking a back seat with, without any kind of a fight. And, and, you know, from Daquan Hardy through Joey Porter Jr. in that, in that second year group and now adding a guy like Dixon. And, uh, if, if Castro Fields is indeed back, yo, how does that work out? Do you see someone move to safety? Do you see someone enter the transfer portal? I don't know. That's a lot of names and a lot of experience in one group. It's a good problem to have for Terry Smith and, by the way, I don't want to just bro- gloss over it completely, but Donovan Johnson, still on the roster, still a scholarship guy. He's played in two games since the 2018 season ended, so we don't really know where his status is right now, but he is among players in that room. Well, it's a com- it's a competition aspect, and it's a spot where you've seen it already kind of eat eat away at other guys. Trent Gordon was there, uh, moved to safety, and obviously he hit the portal, now going to Arkansas. That 2018 class that we've talked about, Miner never got a chance to play because of the heart condition. Isaiah Humphreys transferred out. Trent Gordon's already transferred out. So this is what the portal can do for you. It can sort of help rebuild spots where you've either completely missed or during the recruiting process, or you've missed since they've arrived on campus or a combination of both like this. And um, it can be something that you can sort of patch holes with. That's what I'm looking at at defensive end right now, you've got guys, you know, you, were you talking about going back to 2018 where you signed Jason away? Um, you signed Micah Parsons thinking he would probably be a defensive end eventually. You know, he turns into a linebacker and that changes some numbers things. Then the next year, Tarburton's a guy that you bring in, or I guess that year that same uh, class. Yeah, yeah. Tarburton's a guy that you bring in. He's got injuries and, you know, you just kind of all over the place with that. And they've missed no doubt about it in the 2021 class at defensive end. So it's going to be a spot where you're going to see them try and figure some things out, patch up some holes in, in past classes. And, you know, some of that, some of it's going to work. Some of it's probably not. That's a nice early tease for our mailback question, which centers on that 2018 recruiting class and, and how things have gone through three years on campus for that group, uh, the guys who are left, the guys who have left. Um, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. We got some remaining unknowns. We got plenty of remaining unknowns when, when it comes to what some of these seniors are going to do. What, what's going to happen next in the portal? Uh, oh, yeah. By the way, the 2021 recruiting trail is rolling on into the February signing period. And we've got a 2022 commitment here in the state of Pennsylvania. It's a big one for the Nittany Lions. It's coming this week. We're going to preview that in a bit as well. First, we want to give you some insight on this new Nittany Lions running back, though. When we talked about all the transfer portal positions that could be impacted, running back wasn't really at the top of our list. Uh, well, it was the first one they addressed, and John Lovett had a pretty impressive four-year career at Baylor. You're going to hear the details about that in a moment from Tim Watkins, who covered his recruitment and his time down there in Waco as 24-7 Sports Bears analyst. That's coming up next, and then we'll be back with plenty more conversation right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, Tim Watkins from Bears Illustrated, kind enough to join us uh, to talk about this new Penn State edition at running back, John Lovett. Last week, we learned that he was going to be one of those transfer moves for Penn State. Let's start with this. You covered his entire career. What did Baylor think they were getting when they signed him as a prospect? And ultimately, what did they get on the football field? 
You know, Lovitz a, uh, was a four-star running back out of New Jersey, and uh, he was part of the very first recruiting class that Matt Rule, uh, who came from Temple, uh, put together. Lovett was very high on Matt Rule and his staff when he was at Temple, but didn't want to commit to a group of five or a lower conference school. Once Baylor uh, became Rule's destination, his uh, relationship with Fran Brown, the area recruiter and associate head coach at the time, uh, he committed very quickly to Baylor over you know schools like Rutgers, Michigan State, Iowa. Um, he had a lot of offers in the Northeast as well as the Big Ten. Uh, came down to Baylor early and really uh, emerged as one of the Bears' leading running backs throughout his four-year career. Was really a, a three-year starter for the Bears. Uh, led the Bears in rushing his freshman, sophomore, and junior years of college. Uh, injuries uh, and the general wackiness of COVID really limited his impact this past season, uh, but he's a guy that had really came in with a four-star mentality, uh, came in as a bigger one-cut running back, uh, and, and was one of the Bears' leading rushers uh, for the past four years. Can, can you tell us maybe what he, what he brings out of that backfield that isn't necessarily just grab the ball and go forward? Right. You know, from a from a receiving standpoint, he was definitely the third option of three. Really, in the 2019 season, you were looking at Jamichael Hasty, uh, who's now uh, had a, a couple of game run with the San Francisco 49ers as his undrafted free agent. You're looking at Tress and Abner, who was really a wide receiver coming into Baylor as the true third down receiving back. So Levitt was really a, a first and second down running threat. Uh, somebody to really run that power game that Matt Rule in 2017, 18, and 19 really wanted to focus on. Uh, a lot of heavy sets, even some fullbacks. We even huddled for a couple years there at Baylor, which definitely wasn't something we saw earlier in the decade. Uh, and Lovett was a big piece of that first and second down. Um, some of the areas that he can improve on, I wouldn't call him dynamic out of the backfield uh, when it comes to receiving the ball. He's capable. Uh, he really did improve his ability to pass block later on his career. That was a glaring weakness his freshman and sophomore year. And he struggled a little bit with fumbles at first, but the last two years he tightened that up quite a bit uh, and really was a goal line presence, a short yardage presence his junior year in 2019, a role that he couldn't do in 2018 with Jalen Hurd, uh, the transfers from Tennessee who played one year as a, a wide receiver slash running back, really filling that role. Lovett took over that role last year in 2019 when the Bears, you know, went to a Big 12 title game, went to the Sugar Bowl, and he was exceptional in that spot. He's going to have senior eligibility. This would figure to be a really important year for his potential future in football. When you look at him going off to Penn State, what do you kind of anticipate from Lovett moving ahead? I know you're focused in on Baylor, but how do you kind of see him taking advantage of this opportunity? Why do you think it maybe makes sense from your vantage point? I think it made sense. The the offensive scheme at Baylor uh, moving from the Matt Rule era to the Dave Aranda era uh, changed quite a bit of what they wanted to do out of the backfield. A, a more dual threat receiving running threat on first and second down was really what Baylor wanted to do. And we saw that quite a bit this year as Baylor rotated the running backs in and out of the lineup quickly. Um, you know, Lovett only had 45 carries. Uh, in the five games that he played well under what he had done. And all of his stats were, were significantly lower this year as the Bears struggled with an offensive identity, struggled with an offensive line that, that really took a big step backwards, and, and they weren't world beaters in 2019 either. So I think from a, a going home standpoint, again, he's from New Jersey, from a style 
and a fit in the offense, it changed quite a bit from when he signed in his first three years at Baylor to his last year, um, the, the first version of his senior year in 2020. So I think those are the two biggest reasons. Number one, location, getting closer to home, his family still in the New Jersey, Pennsylvania area, uh, being able to be closer to them uh, after a very difficult and, and tough year for all college football players, especially if they are farther away from home in, in 2020 with the COVID situation really limiting who you could see, where you could go, et cetera. I think being able to be closer to home is a big piece of it. And then secondly, that fit in that offense, playing around more of a structured one cut back offense. I think getting into that rotation at Penn State, getting more film in a professional style offense is something that he wants. He has the measurables. He has the speed. He has some of the production uh, to get a look at the NFL. Um, Most Baylor insiders thought he was the most true, purely talented running back out of the trio of Jermichael Hasty, Treston Ebner, and John Lovett. And Hasty uh, was an undrafted free agent with the 49ers, uh, rose up, uh, was on their practice squad, uh, practice squad, played a couple of games earlier in the season after injuries uh, debilitated that running back group, um, and is expected to be on the, uh, the the larger roster next year as as the 49ers kind of churn over some of their veterans. So he's a, he's a guy with an NFL upside to his game. He has to get more tape on it. He has to show that he's consistent succeed, maybe improve off of a struggling 2020 season. And um, I think he's going to be able to do that if given the opportunity for the Nittany Lions. Last question for you here. We, we appreciate your time once again, but we're get a chance hopefully to, to learn a little bit more about Lovett in these upcoming months as he acclimates himself to a new program. But during his time at Waco, what was your read on the personality, on, on the locker room impact? What kind of person is Penn State adding here? You're getting an exceptional person. He has been a leader of that locker room since stepping foot on campus back in 2017. One of the things that Matt Rule really instilled was toughness, work ethic. Um, and one of the rewards for being one of the elite of that team was your your fellow teammates would vote you to wear a single digit number. Um, so that zero through nine was really a, a reward. Uh, for doing the right things, for showing the hard work, for showing leadership, uh, being consistent with your work ethic. And John Lovett, uh, as far as I can tell, is the first four-year recipient of a single digit under Matt Rule. He won it, wore it as a freshman all the way through his fourth and final year at Baylor, uh, wearing number seven in the green and gold. So he's a he's been a leader for Baylor since his freshman season. Um, he has displayed a toughness and a work ethic that has really stood out to his teammates. Um, and he's been a consistent factor for the Bears since day one. Tim, thank you so much for the insight here. We uh, appreciate it and we look forward to your coverage at Bears Illustrated. Thanks for the time. Thanks so much. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Good stuff there. We appreciate it. A little bit more insight. And I think we're going to continue to piece together that puzzle of, of what Penn State sees in John Lovett in the coming months ahead once we get to talk to some Penn State coaches about that on the record. And uh, Lovett himself spoke with Brian Doan last week. So catch out, catch that content and, and catch a, a full write-up of, of Tim's comments and kind of expanding on that up on lines 247com currently. Um, we do hope to, to continue casting a, a, a fair amount of spotlight on these transfer players because typically this is where we focus in on the early enrollees and we are going to do that in the weeks ahead they'll be on campus i think after mlk weekend or on mlk weekend but there's so much going on with the transfer portal that we want to keep these guys on the podcast get them on the podcast and derek tangelo is a guy that that uh sean has been working with to, to try to speak with so we hope the next podcast that we roll out for you which would be in the new year uh probably next tuesday i believe hope to have him on board and, and kind of discussing his career at duke what he's going to bring to the Penn State Nittany Lions and, and why this move made sense for him. It's an interesting area of availability because once they get on board with Penn State, get locked in with their roster spot and an on-campus, it, it's not the kind of conversation that we'll be able to have on the podcast. So it's a, it's a shortened window, Sean, but you know, it, it, might as well try to have some fun with it in, in this year of all years. No doubt. And I, I liked what you said there uh, about making the move that makes sense for him. And that's something that I think that, you know, we, when you talk about following recruiting or you talk about, you know, uh, anything really, you think, okay, this is going to take the best offer that he has, going to take the best school that he has. And I don't know that the transfer portal is necessarily going to, going to reflect that. I mean, you could see, you know, Penn State in a battle with, uh, with, with some other schools and, and maybe they lose a kid that you, you think, okay, Penn State probably shouldn't lose to that school just because the, um, ability to step in and play right away is there. You get, you, you know the st- the ability to um, sort of maximize uh, your experience is there in that one year that you have, and it's some of these things may not make some sense at some point, but you know it's it, it's going to be very interesting to see um, which priorities come to light for some of these guys because some of these guys you know you talk about and this is a guy that we've profiled and we've been following all week Arnold Ebikete from from Temple you know he wants to play a year and then go to the NFL as a defensive end and that's going to be an opportunity for him to step in it and you don't necessarily have to go to the biggest school for that I, I feel like Penn State and Boston College are the two in here you know Boston College is certainly you know an opportunity for him to step in to the ACC and play right, right away I mean it's not necessarily going to be a no-brainer for for some of these guys that you would think that, you know, Penn State wins most of the battles against Boston College head to head. That might not be the case here in, in the transfer board. And that's just kind of spitballing a bigger point than just, you know, uh, circling Epicate. Um, but it's, it, it's going to be really interesting to see where those priorities lie and how these decisions make sense for that player, because it's going to be very different than I think what you're, what you're used to seeing. And look for these guys that are grad transfers and, and, you know, fifth or sixth year seniors in some cases, like an Antonio Shelton outgoing or, or a John Lovett incoming. There's a bonus opportunity to develop some tape for yourself. If you weren't pleased with maybe how it went at your first school or how it went most recently, I think in Lovett's case, it's a good example. 2020 was an outlier in terms of production, what he did his first three years versus what he did as a senior for Baylor. This is a, a kind of a, a silver lining of the entire 2020 debacle is you get another shot at it in 2021, but you better make the right decision. You better find a spot uh, that is going to accentuate your positives and give you a shot to maybe strengthen that path to professional uh, football because that window closes shut for you and it may not open back up. But if you can get in there and even enjoy a few years or a cup of tea in the NFL, 
can pocket some considerable money, maybe get that second contract. That is life-changing generational wealth potentially uh, for you. So a lot to consider. And let's not act like these are the 17-year-olds making decisions that we see every day in mm-hmm. recruiting. I mean, these guys, 22, 23 years old, you know, getting closer to, to, to being a man and making probably, I mean, let's think about this with you and I, did we make the same decisions at 17 that we made at 22, 23? Uh, I think that might be a, a different podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I, I, I try now versus 23. Uh, no, it's it certainly you would progress. Your priorities change. And I think you'd you be, you know, a lot of the facade of, of the recruiting world where everyone's telling you how good you are and how great your college career is going to be, whether it's your hometown fans and family or whether it's the coaching staffs trying to get you to campus, that goes out the window when you've already spent four or five years on a college campus competing at Power 5 football level. You've been humbled, I would imagine. You have had some low moments. You have had some high moments, but you probably have a greater understanding of what it is going to take to continue your career and how realistic that is right now. So a lot to get into, and I hope we do have these conversations with these guys because totally fresh personalities. Some of these guys, maybe we exchanged some messages with during the recruitments, maybe had a phone call or a couple of them. But this is a, a totally different, you know, like you said, talking to those 17-year-olds back then is going to be much different than talking with these 21, 22-year-olds now. And, and we're excited to do that. Hopefully, we'll get to feature some of these guys on the podcast. But getting back to that conversation of what are the seniors going to do, we're, we're seeing some coming in, we're seeing some going out, we're seeing some hang it up, and then we're seeing some go off to the NFL. You mentioned Castro Fields. You, you, you seem like there's confidence there that Penn State's going to bring him back. And he's going to want to come back and and to that cornerback spot. He missed the final six games of this 2020 season. It felt like it could have been maybe a launch pad year for him looking toward the NFL. That didn't materialize because of the medical setback, whatever that was. But elsewhere, you've got two other starters in the defensive backfield who have been mum to this point. Jaquan Brisker, he's accepted a senior bowl invitation. Lamont Wade, second year starter at safety alongside Brisker, a young father as well. I think Mark brought that up last week when we were talking about some of these decisions. Maybe you guys won't announce. Maybe not everybody's going to be a Shaka Tony or a Shane Simmons and put out a few paragraphs on on why they're making the decision they're making and why they're feeling the way they're feeling. You had to, you had to go kind of tap Will Fries on the shoulder to get an answer out of him, and, and we may not hear anything out of Mike Bennett. He may just start moving toward the NFL. What's your read on this defensive backfield trio, Castro Fields, Jaquan Brisker, Lamont Wade? Well, first off, I think there is a difference between the fifth-year player and the sixth-year player. I know they've all got senior eligibility or whatever. Castro Fields uh, and Brisker and Wade all played as, uh, I guess, true freshmen when you take into account Brisker playing at at junior college. Um, So I think it is a different situation than your Shelton's, your Fry's, your Menets. So I think that that comes into play. Um, I do think Castro Fields will be back. I think the injuries, you know, kind of have piled up for him, but he's still a very talented guy. Started out the season fairly strong. Um, We will see, you know, where that, that next year would take him because, you know, he just got it kind of taken out of the draft conversation altogether based on the injuries kind of faded away and everything like that. We know corner is a deep room, but I still think if he came back next year, he'd be a starter. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Brisker is the one, the most intriguing one to me. This is a guy that we've talked about, could probably use a little bit more seasoning, but also has played better than most people will, will have thought that he played. So I think the opportunity to be drafted was certainly there for him. Um, still still up in the air on that one. I think there's the, there's arguments for both sides on that one. I think you'll you'll come back and see it. Wade, I could see a situation where it's it's like a Shelton. Maybe he goes into the portal, maybe tries to find us a, a place to play. Maybe he tries to find a place to play on offense for his fifth year. I mean, I I, I don't know. Um, but I, I would 
say that that's probably the the most likely in terms of ordering those guys uh, coming back would be the would be a situation there. And I think honestly, what we saw out of Lamont Wade, especially as a kick returner at the end of the year. You know, it might be worth it to try and get uh, get some film on the offensive side of the ball, and I'm not sure where that would end up. But at the same time, I mean, it's I think it's probably I think I, I don't want to say safe to say his Penn State career is over, but I, I really don't expect to see him coming back. Consider me intrigued by by what you just said about Lamont Wade. If Castro Fields is the guy, and uh, he may be the only guy out of that senior group, there's eight scholarship seniors here in 2020 who had that door open to play another year of college football. Maybe he's the only guy who takes advantage of that here in Happy Valley. We'll find out soon enough. Decisions will be made uh, within the first couple weeks of January, um, maybe even sooner, probably while we're recording. Judging by the pace of, of the news that has been breaking in college football and here on the Penn State beat, we'll, we'll finish recording and we'll find out something new. Uh, Sean, the portal will continue to be in focus. That's going to be the, the an ongoing subject. And I think the important thing to keep in mind here, we're talking about certain names, certain guys who have opted or who have maybe they opted out during the season or maybe they entered the transfer portal right as their season ended with other schools. Let's remember there are guys on rosters who are competing in postseason stuff right now, the four teams in the college football playoff, and those are some pretty loaded rosters. You got other guys that are competing at high level bowls in the upcoming days, and then you're going to see another wave. Of, of transfer portal additions. You mentioned the Temple defensive end. You did a great job pronouncing his name, so that's awesome for you, and I'll leave it there. <laughs> what are we looking at uh, uh, elsewhere in the portal? And I know you've been asked this. I've been asked this. feels like months now. Is quarterback a realistic possibility? Well, I mean, here's the thing about the portal is, number one, a lot of it's going to be done underground. Uh, you know, it's going to be contacting coaches and contacting, you know, uh, parent, uh, maybe not parents, but contacting intermediates to go between players and things like that. So some of these relationships will bubble up from the start and some of these guys will be, you know, just pop onto the radar. And I think it'll go very quickly, especially, you know, you got to have guys in, on on campus and registered by the 18th, I believe, of January uh, when the spring semester starts, if you want to have them. Uh, and I say on campus, and that's kind of the, the not the loophole, but that's kind of the, the funny thing here is you don't really have to be on campus now because everything's remote. You can take your classes from wherever you want to take them from. So just got to be registered, got to be in the system or whatnot, and then you can get a chance to get here for spring ball and then join the team whenever you're going to come in. And I'm sure COVID protocols will be a thing where you have to come in and quarantine and find a place to live and then immediately quarantine. And it's going to be fun, fun times. Uh, but it's it, it's a really interesting situation because Penn State has sort of flipped the script on on what you think about Penn State bringing in transfers. It's been something that they have shied away from. It's kind of like what they did with junior colleges. You know, they shied away from it for so long, and then you really didn't consider them a place to go if you were a junior college prospect. Now it's kind of the same with transfers is, is, hey, you know, Penn State doesn't take transfers. They're going to play their own guys. They're going to do whatever. Um, now all of a sudden they're trying to, to flip that narrative. And, you know, you've got three guys already uh, that have come through the portal. And if you can continue to build on that, you can become maybe not an Oklahoma that brings in a, a transfer quarterback or some of these other places that, you know, bring in impact players right away. But you can build that narrative to next year where you can, you know, sort of set yourself up as a destination for a transfer, the guy that's going to look for, um, you know, that kind of exposure. So maybe you're bringing in a defensive end this year. He has a good year. Maybe you're bringing in another defensive end next year as a starter. So you're sort of building yourself up for that. And what they're doing, as you've seen with the guys that they brought in, the running back, cornerback, defensive tackle, all spots where they have numbers on the scholarship roster, they're exploring everything right now. And I know defensive ends the priority, defensive back, safety perhaps is the priority. 
uh, offensive line is going to be a spot where they they look, and I'm not sure that they land anybody, but they they certainly will look there. Um, so they're lo- they're looking at everything, and I think it's kind of a a turnaround here um, from a staff perspective of what the transfer portal could be for them. And they've sort of embraced that and moved forward. And I think they do deserve credit for that. And I think that, that they're learning that, you know, this is maybe a different way to sort of patch holes and and and, and fill cracks. The, your question, I think, is a great one. Um, I do think that they look at quarterbacks. I think they've looked at a bunch of quarterbacks already. And, you know, you got to find the right fit. There's a lot more that goes into it than just saying, okay, we thought this guy could play in high school or we thought this guy could play at his last stop. And now all of a sudden, you know, we want to bring him in. There's a lot more that goes into that. I do think they look at quarterbacks. Do they find the right guy? Is is the right guy out there right now? As, as we've said, that pool will go from, and I don't know that quarterback is the best example of this, but it will come go from shallow. Then all of a sudden, you're going to find a couple of guys that you might like. And then all of a sudden, a couple of days later, there might not be anybody in there and it's just going to come in waves. excuse me, it's going to come in waves and whether or not they strike at the right time, I think it's, is going to be the biggest thing to, to take away from it. But I do, I do see them exploring quarterback as well. Yes. Barring something dramatic, Sean, I just can't envision a scenario where you're telling a quarterback that you come, you're our starter. Like I just, uh, barring something dramatic where a guy that we are not anticipating becomes available and he, he's, he's got a track record at the power five level that is really special and wants to come to Penn State and work with Kirk Shiraka, you got to find the right mentality fit, right? You, you got to find a guy who's ready to come in and compete. Um, and then you've also got to massage the situation within your quarterback room with, with who you're retaining and who you're moving forward. The, the dynamics, the dynamics are just so different. I mean, we heard John Lovett when he spoke with, with Brian Doan about coming to Penn State. One of the first things he said was, Hey, running back these days, you're going to get two or three guys involved each game. Anyone who thinks they're playing 60 minutes of football, uh, they're, they're looking at a relic of the past at running back and, and here at quarterback, well, I, I know they used two quarterbacks down the stretch, but I don't think that's the ideal circumstance. And you got to find the right mentality fit. I, I, you know, a kid who wants to say, I've been a backup to a really good player here. It's my third or fourth year at the college level. Where am I going to go and find the path of re- least resistance? Or where am I going to go where the coaching staff's going to give me a, you got to come compete and then follow that with a couple winks and a nod. I don't know if that exists at Penn State. I know people, you know, we've talked about it a lot with Sean Clifford. We've talked about it a lot with Will Levis. There's nothing proven beyond those two. And there are some things that are of the unfortunate variety that are proven with those top couple quarterbacks. And, and you want to see room for growth there. But I mean, what do you think about that, Sean? At quarterback, I, I, it just, I don't envision a possibility where you can say, you're our starter, sign with us. It, it, it's got to be. You come in, you take a seat in the room, you go to work, and we'll see what happens. It's it's very interesting because I think people want it to be black and white, and this is kind of the same thing in recruiting, mm-hmm. is that, okay, you're either going to get uh, – you know, you're either going to get Joe Burrow or Justin Fields. And it's going to be awesome. I mean, that's not necessarily the case here. And the other thing to remember is, you know, Joe Burrow might be out there, but not the Joe Burrow that was the number one pick two years later. I mean, you're going to have to develop him. You're still going to have to figure some things out, figure out if he's the right culture fit. You're going to have to figure out if timing is right for, for your quarterback room and if he's going to come in and, and, and you know, if you're going to bring in a guy ne- next year, it's going to blow up your entire quarterback room and you don't think he's going to be much better than Sean Clifford or Will Levis. It's not really worth it. That's, that's the funny thing is when, when I'm writing about these transfers and you, especially with John Lovett, 
last week because I think everybody's kind of new to this, especially the Penn State fan base and getting these guys. You're thinking, why is a running back? Why not a quarterback? And that's not really how it's going to work. It's so much of this is going to be timing. So much of this is going to be, um, sort of the, the, the feeling out the process and feeling out what's out there. You look at what's in the, in the quarterback portal right now. Not a whole lot. I know Ryan Holinsky just before we went on the, the air went into the portal right now, but honestly, that quick fix that Joe, that guy that you think is going to be Joe Burrow. Is he out there? Probably not. And I think that's the the funny thing is you got to give this patience because that's the most important position on the field. That's the most important probably guy in, in, on your roster. Um, and if if you get the wrong guy, that's that's certainly a problem. So it'll be interesting to see um, how this goes about with timing because if you want them to – uh, jump it and take a guy right now. That's not the right move. That's not the way that that's not the way to go about it. Uh, we'll learn a lot about quarterback and, and the months ahead, and, and probably still have questions whenever preseason camp does open up for Penn State. It's going to be a position that's fascinating to follow. And Kirk Sharaka's second year on campus, by the way, Christian Veyu out of Ontario, Canada, joins this roster in January. So another name to know in that room. Um, Oh, yeah, Sean, the, the 2021 recruiting cycle is not done yet. Penn State signed 15 guys a couple weeks ago. We covered them in great detail on this podcast. Not a lot of names left out there, not a lot of positions. And I do wonder, Sean, how do the transfer portal additions and the the ones that are maybe still to come impacting the way Penn State is processing its remaining board ahead of that February signing period? Well, you're limited here by the hard cap and you're, you're limited to 25 incoming scholarship guys per year. So you got to figure out that number. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of wiggle room there, but it's, it's an interesting situation because, you know, Penn State's got 15 commitments right now, small class. And, you know, whether this is something they planned for or not, but gives you a little bit more wiggle room with bringing in transfers at positions that you obviously may have some, some guys already there. So I don't think it's really changing all that much. You're still looking at, you know, the same crop of guys that you were doing so beforehand still would like to, to add an offensive tackle still would like to add a defensive end from the high school ranks still looking at a guy like George Rooks who's going to be, eventually be a defensive tackle and you know you got athletes out there and you've got coaching changes happening all over the place so you might have a chance to, to swoop in on some guys late but I don't think it really changes all that much especially in the 2021 cycle. Well, in the 2022 cycle, things have been pretty rosy for Penn State in recent months. The number three class nationally right now in 24-7 sports composite rankings. And because of a recent composite upgrade to four-star status for Bo Prabula, all seven guys on board are four-star prospects. And earlier this week, I think it was Sunday, actually, uh, Pennsylvania Football News conducted a vote among state coaches in Pennsylvania, Sean, and the Class 6A Player of the Year is Bo Prabula, the quarterback from Central York, who led a historic uh, run to the state championship game for his program, ultimately lost in that matchup to St. Joe's Prep. Uh, Kyle McCord, the quarterback for St. Joe's Prep. Receiver Marvin Harrison from St. Joe's Prep. Other candidates for that Player of the Year honor in Class 6A, both going to Ohio State, both seniors. But it goes to the junior, Bo Prabula, 11 games, 2,100 passing yards, 400 rushing yards, 46 total touchdowns to his credit. And he answered a lot of questions during that postseason run, Sean. Don't want to spend too much time on Prabula, but uh, just further reinforces that this kid is going to carry a lot of weight on the in-state recruiting trail. 
Uh, and as, as, as a face of sorts for this Pennsylvania recruiting class, the last couple of years, you get a quarterback out of Oregon and New Jersey. You get a quarterback out of Las Vegas, Nevada. This feels different. We've talked about why in the past, and we're going to talk about it in a second because Makai Flowers is a guy that, that Perbula has specifically mentioned on his target board. Yeah, it's pretty cool for him to, to win this award, especially what he's up against, you know, a couple of Ohio State commits. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, just kind of looking at the, the details of the vote from the 6A coaches, I think there's a lot of resentment for St. Joe's prep just based on how they've kind of dominated everything. But I do think that, you know, Bo Perbula undoubtedly meant more to his team, was more valuable to his team than McCord. McCord's a heck of a player. Um, obviously Harrison's a heck of a, a player. A lot of St. Well. Joe's guys on that all state list. A lot yes, of absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a the top program in the state, and in, in terms of what they've been able to to do over the last uh, decade or so. Um, but it's it's been a really uh, you know I think it's really obvious to see uh, taking Central York, and this is not a Hoosier story. Central York's a big school, but you're taking you know essentially one of the, the a program from a county that obviously has its uh, uh, deficiencies on the on the football side of things. Taking that all the way to the state title game, obviously you're going up against a you know a tank in St. Joe's Prep. Um, but to see how much Perbula meant to this team, to see how much he carried them through the playoffs and, and and all that. I mean, you were expecting them to get knocked out in the district playoffs. They end up in the state finals. I think when you take into account uh, player of the year, most valuable player, I I don't I think there's a strong argument here for Perbula, no doubt. Well, we welcome in a new year on Friday, and Penn State hopes to welcome in a new commitment for that 2022 class. It would be number eight, Makai Flat. Flowers is a name that we have talked about a lot, Sean, out of Harrisburg. And it put out a top 10 ahead of this announcement. Talked about it with Brian Doan. That conversation, I believe it's a free article uh, up on lions247.com uh, from from over the weekend. Um, here's the top 10, then I'll throw it to you because this is one hell of a top 10 list. Arizona State, Penn State, Georgia Tech, Howard, Nebraska, Kentucky, Virginia Tech, West Virginia, Rutgers, and Connecticut. Do with that what you will, but I know this, and you said it before. This is a really special player. Yes, it is. Um, that that top ten is is well all over the place. Um, it, he's a very very good player. He's a very good athlete. Um, just a Pennsylvania Player of the Year, I believe. Uh, Penn Live had him as Pennsylvania Overall Player of the Year. Obviously, the competition level is a little bit lower than you know most uh, Perbula and some of those guys. Uh, but at the same time, just dominated when he got out there. Uh, I love him as a safety. Penn State likes him as an athlete. Obviously, Taylor Stubblefield is a guy that would like him at receiver, whereas Brent Pry and Tim Banks would really like him at safety. I I, I think that. The defense is where he eventually ends up, but he's just so darn good as a wide receiver. And I think I'm probably have this notion from seeing him early in his uh, high school career doing a camps and things like that. And he was just like, he had that look of this big time safety. Then again, he, he comes out as a junior and puts that wide receiver tape out there. It's just like, man, this kid can play no matter what. Um, so if, if Penn State picks him up, which I think, I think he will, I think they will. Um, you know, it's a, a huge addition to this clash, especially in state going after what they, uh, what happened in the 2021 cycle in terms of not, having a ton of success in state flowers is a vocal kid. He can hopefully, you know, if, if you're Penn state, you hope he can be a guy that, you know, sort of is magnetic and they're sort of building with the inside from the inside out here in the 2022 class. If you get flowers, you've got uh Perbula, you've got Anthony Ivy, and it's just a bunch of guys drawing from in state Ken Talley. And of course, Drew Shelton over there in, in Philadelphia. So, I mean, sort of, 
it's it's been the patch. I mean, this whole 22 class has been the patch for that 2021 class, not only overall, but also in state. And that's sort of how you can get quickly back or how you can get back quickly to where you want to be is getting these patches on there and getting these guys to uh, to influence um, others and, and hopefully growing that class to, uh, to, to one of the top in the country. A year and a half ago, we, we felt like the 2022 Pennsylvania class, so, something good was brewing there. And this was part of the reason Flowers picked up a, an offer in June of, of 2019. We saw him at a couple camps that June. He got back to campus uh, for a couple games, including the whiteout win over Michigan. Um, so a lot of familiarity there. Um, and, and this is a guy, Sean, I, I'm with you. I mean, you see the length and six foot one, 190 pounds or so right now as a high school junior. Your mind does run wild about what he could do as kind of playing back there in the, in the defense and, and the different ways he could disrupt an offensive game plan. But then you watch the film from this year and you see what he can do with the ball in his hands and you're like, well, it would be nice to find a way to get to make that happen at the college level too, because you know whether it was getting some direct snaps or or getting this ball, uh, getting getting the ball as a rusher, as a receiver, he went over a thousand yards, had fifteen touchdowns. Uh, I mean, it's just it's just a really really impressive highlight film, and, and a kid that I, I don't blame him one bit. He's the kind of kid who can make these statements. He says he would love the opportunity to play on both sides of the ball at, at the college level, but Micah Parsons said that and it never materialized. So that's a hard thing to do for anybody. He's considered the number four player in Pennsylvania in those composite rankings, um, labeled as a wide receiver on 24-7 sports, a top 15 wide receiver. And if he does end up at wide receiver, well, man, what a trio that would be to start things off here for this class. You'd have eight commitments on board, and three of them would be top 20 wide receivers uh, with Caden Saunders, of course, out of Ohio, your initial commitment for this class. Then you've got Anthony Ivey, another premier receiver here in Pennsylvania. And oh, by the way, two four-star tight ends on board to go with Bo Perbula and the top-ranked offensive lineman in Pennsylvania, Drew Shelton. I mean, that is just a remarkable offensive haul at this stage of the cycle. Yes, it's a good start. And uh, it's going to be, I think, a, a crazy cycle because these guys are going to be able to be able to visit, you know, in mid-April or potentially longer. I don't know where that stands right now in the dead period, but it's, it's an opportunity for, for them to, to sort of get that group together, get them, you know, uh, feeling good about, like I said, the, the power in numbers is probably something that, that we haven't seen from a Penn State class in, in years. And, and, that's something that that can certainly creep up and certainly something that could take off and keep these guys together. And, and, and I think it'll be a helpful thing. Your crystal ball has been on flowers to Penn State for some time, a couple months now, correct? Do you do you think is there, are you sticking with that for the duration here? We're, we're I guess, within 36 hours of, of him making the call. Uh, I think it's been on there since 2019. I, I, uh, I maybe October no to, 2019 then. OK, <laughs> yeah, I see no reason to change it. I. I don't, I try to stay away from his Twitter. Uh, it's just, it's one of those things where he's, he's trying to throw yeah, yeah. a lot of curveballs, <laughs> um, a lot of interesting things. I, I don't know that he, if he does commit to Penn State, I don't know that this is something that's completely done and completely in the bag, but, uh, that's just kind of where things stand. And I, and honestly, he says he's going to be the first commit of the 2021. Uh, the year 2021. So I wouldn't put it past him to go at 1201 or something like that either. So that's just kind of the, the situation that, that we're going to be dealing with here. But we can draw straws for, for who's on coverage of that breaking news. But you better believe that we'll have coverage of that announcement, the commitment from Mackay Flowers coming your way on lines247.com. If it's Penn State, full reaction of what it means for the Nittany Lions and analysis on who he is as a prospect, of course, uh, from the 24-7 sports recruiting staff. Uh, Sean, turning our attention 
a, a ways back on the recruiting trail. That 2018 recruiting class is in the spotlight for our latest five-star mailbag. And I'll preface this, it's a very pessimistic tone for this question, but we'll take it from there and we'll, and we'll build it out a little bit. And here that goes. These are not my words. The return on investment with 2018 recruiting class has been very poor. We thought that class would take Penn State over the top. The returns, truthfully, have been bad. One great season out of Micah Parsons and two from Pat Fryermuth. That is it. And and that ends with an exclamation point and a question mark. Sean, I, I wrote this out and I sent it your way, kind of breaking these guys into categories. It was a 23-player class. And look, there's a lot more that, that goes into this class than Micah Parsons and Pat Fryermuth. I can understand why those are the headliners. Uh, freshman All-American kind of status, preseason All-American status here in 2020. Of course, Micah Parsons was an All-American last year. But you've got some all-conference guys in this mix beyond Parsons and Fryermuth. Jahan Dotson, third team, whatever you make of that, okay. But led the led the Big Ten in receptions and or led the Big Ten in receiving yards, and it wasn't particularly close here. And then Jason Oway, whether you agree with this or not, first team All-conference selection, a guy who I think is going to go a lot higher in this upcoming draft than people will give it credit for. So those guys are all conference. You've got other starters, Rashid Walker, PJ Mustafer, Jesse Lucetta, Jake Pinniger is going to be a fourth year starter at kicker for you next year. Two guys that I kind of put underneath that starters list because they have started, but they're not really starters. And I don't think they will be in 2021. Daniel George at wide receiver and Will Levis at quarterback. Let, let's start with the guys. Those are the guys who have actually been involved for this team and were involved in one way or another in 2020. I just want to shift attention to that. We have seen this group make an impact on the field, but yes, they were a very highly touted group. I believe the highest ranked group per the composite that Penn State has signed in the last 15 years or so. And that was headlined by, by the guy who was, uh, you know, everybody's prize prospect and Micah Parsons, of course. Yeah, this is a, a group that obviously has not really lived up to those expectations. I think number six class in the country. Uh, the misses have been the loudest, and I think that's the biggest thing to take away. Um, Justin Shorter obviously has not you know, did not pan out and, and, and moved on before he had a chance to, to help himself pan out. Uh, he's now at Florida. Ricky Slade, um, I mean, you hate to say overrated from the start, but this is a kid that, you know, you look at the profile, you look at that. He was very, very high in the rankings. This is a guy that, uh, you know, just looking back, I think he was a five-star composite without being a five-star prospect anywhere else. So, um, it was, it was just a really interesting situation. He's been passed. It was passed up by, by other backs there. Uh, unfortunately, you had the two guys that never got out, you know, Anana Sidu and Jordan Minor, guys that had heart issues that could not play at all. So I think there's very distinct tiers here. You mentioned the all-conference guys. You mentioned the starters. I still think, you know, Rashid Walker and PJ Mustafer, you know, probably going to be draft picks at some point. Um, but, and then there's not a lot there left. You had Gordon Lee for the portal uh, for Arkansas, excuse me, Isaiah Humphreys for Cal, never, you know, made a dent in anything. Judge Culpepper was a third stringer. Um, and then you've got Got a, a list of guys that really haven't, you know, I don't know that you could say could go either way, but haven't seen enough uh, to go anyway. Uh, Juice Scruggs is a guy that I think can can be a very, very good player at Penn State. Uh, he was obviously derailed with that car accident. But then you've got guys like Bryce Effner and Zach Koontz and Nick Tarburton, Charlie Catcher, and Ineas Hawkins uh, could just be guys that you really don't get anything from. And that's, uh, and that's certainly disappointing there. Um, I, I will disagree with the, the tone, general tone and wording in this, this, uh, uh, question that, that that's basically all you got was a season out of Micah Parsons, two from Fryermuth, but, um, certainly 
not the class that, that, that was built up to be, not the class that they envisioned it being. And, and this is really interesting because when they arrived, I mean, you remember, you know, what the coaches said about them, what we were hearing about them is this is a, a group that, that made or that forced a lot of other people to move on. And, and yes. it's a group that was bigger and, and stronger and faster and than, than a lot of these other guys. And you saw, Parsons pushed guys out. Frymuth obviously did so, uh, you know, at tight end. Uh, Rasheed Walker started as a redshirt freshman. Um, but so you, there's been a lot of good in this class. Um, like I said, disagree with the tone of the question, um, but you, you can't ignore that there's been a, a bunch of misses as well. This was, there was a lot of, you know, when 2018 was, was going on and going on and people were saying, oh, you know, is there an issue in the locker room? This, this team's losing games. And, uh, you know, the, the big comment after the first loss of that season, the great to elite comment that got everybody's attention, kind of, you know, you, you're thinking, is, is, is he, is that a message uh, about maybe what, what's to come with the 18 class and, and what you're building with younger players and maybe some of the other players are stepping out of the way or hitting the portal? That just never took the next step. Now, last year, of course, won 11 games. And and guys that we just mentioned, they were pretty important along the way. Uh, several of those guys were either starters or key contributors or, in the case of Parsons and, and Fryermuth, two of the best players in the Big Ten Conference. I think where the question really swings and misses is the lack of a mention of Jahan Dotson. Because while Micah Parsons had everybody captivated on the auditorium in Harrisburg High School about where he was going to go and he was showing his video and it had everybody on the edge of their seat – you had Jahan Dotson, Pennsylvania kid who spent a year in New Jersey playing football, committed to UCLA, coming off that commitment, committing to this class, and, and joining Justin Shorter and Daniel George in this recruiting class, Sean. And I saw Jahan Dotson play when he was at the Petty School in New Jersey. Really, really impressed by him. But he wasn't the physical specimen that a Daniel George was. And certainly what Justin Shorter became over the course of that recruiting cycle, rising up to the number one receiver in the country. But I think Jahan Dotson and, and the ability to, to get him on board there at the last second with Josh Gaddis in that class, I mean, that has paid off tremendously. It's hard to imagine where Penn State would be right now without Jahan Dotson factored in because they have had some some rough results with the receiver recruiting over the past several cycles. Yeah, he's been one of those guys that's been able to bridge that gap. And, you know, you were wondering what would happen if after Shorter transferred. And Daniel George has obviously hasn't been the answer there. And, you know, you've had some some other transfers in that room. And he's just been so consistent and stepped up, was your number one. Obviously, Hamler was your number one last year, but stepped up this year and was, you know, just took over that number one spot. And he's just been he's been so good. I mean, you just shudder to think what what it would look like if they weren't able to grab him late and chip kelly man never called him at ucla hmm. never uh never really wanted to uh to deal with that i guess and he certainly certainly missed out on a heck of a player the most low profile star you you might ever find uh in in the penn state locker room too in terms of his demeanor and, and from being drama free and getting the job done at a position that is often not very drama free with the top players there justin shorter is clearly one that's going to sting for a long time he went out, he did some things with Florida this year, was a prolific offensive attack. He still has a lot to prove to come even close to where we thought he was coming out of South Brunswick High School in New Jersey. Ricky Slade will have an opportunity potentially to, to, to be a foundational component for what Ricky Ronnie does when they find, finally roll out a football team there in Old Dominion. Uh, but you know, a couple of these names, like you said, Rashid Walker, PJ Mustafer, very curious to see what they can accomplish in 2021. Uh, if Walker is staying around at tackle, he'll be a third-year starter there. Uh, 
P.J. Mustafa would essentially be a third-year starter in terms of snaps. I think both have a chance to launch up some NFL boards and the draft. And, and really, when, when you talk to guys like Barton Simmons and Steve Wolfong and Brian Doan, and, you know, why do you come to these rankings on signing day? Why do they make sense? They'll point to four or five years down the line. What does the draft look like? And uh, you're going to see some 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 serious draft talent out of this group. Uh, I mean, Pat Fryermuth, uh, Micah Parsons, and Jason Away. I just saw Pro Football Focus has both pegged as first round talents right now, and I think Jason Away. That's going to continue to have people shaking their head until he actually maybe does go out there and become a first round pick, and people are still not going to believe it. But th- that that's kind of the, the general thought around this guy. And Juice Scruggs, I think, when you look at what's yet to be determined, that maybe has the, the highest ceiling still to go uh, for these guys who are three years in and some of the other names you mentioned you do wonder if if eventually the transfer portal is, is going to be the end result or maybe they play it through and they're fine with you know with being somewhat contributors or just veteran presence guys and they stick with Penn State that could happen as well but I think the one spot where you're going to look uh, and, and unfortunately for Will Levis this was always going to be tough shoes to fill the quarterback spot in 2018 um, what happened there and what didn't happen there that's also part of the conversation, I think. It's part of a conversation. We've, we've had enough of a conversation here and, and we don't need to rehash that, especially the week before the, or the week of the playoff. So, um, but no, it's, I didn't uh, mention anyone by name. You take that wherever you want. I think we know where that was going. <laughs> uh, so we'll cut it off now. Like I said, I, I think in terms of most to gain out of that class remaining out there, um, Juice Scruggs, I think is going to have something to say about that, but before his time is over here. Um, and you know, we'll see. There's a couple of guys out there. Maybe Bryce Efter becomes a nice uh, complimentary piece. Maybe eventually comes a starter for you. Nick Tarburton. And Sean, what about Luketta? I mean, I think I think a lot of people are, are, are have lost some faith in Luketta. They, they didn't go out there and, and, and Brent Pry called, said tackling needs to be better. You know, what do you, what do you think about Luketta moving forward? I mean, you got Brandon Smith, you got Lance Dixon, and this will be a longer conversation at linebacker. He's a guy that I think still has a chance, maybe changes positions next year. Uh, and, and maybe you kind of redefines the narrative around him. You know, he was asked to fill a role this year that Michael Parsons was supposed to fill until mid-August. You know, I have no problem with Luketta moving forward. It's just moving side to side is where where I have the issue with him. Um, I, I think you can maybe slide him into Mike and see what you've got there. But, you know, the linebacker play has to be better. And when he's a starter, you know, he's one of two, I guess, three starters, uh, two in the box. Um, you, you, you expect better from them. And maybe he's got some strides to make. Does that, does it mean he's, you know, eventually going to be, and I apologize for whatever that was, and does that mean he's <laughs> He's going to be a DN. Does that mean he's going to be a Mike linebacker? It's still a lot to 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 see here. Um, he also did play as a true freshman, so he's got a little bit left. Uh, you know, in terms of the the clock, is a little bit different than some of these guys. So it would be just really interesting. I mean, they they got a fixed linebacker, and are those guys there right now? I think Brandon Smith is an obvious answer. I think Curtis Jacobs is a guy that's uh, certainly will factor into things next year. And you'd like to see Sam, uh, you know, Lance Dixon back at the Sam. Um, but is is Luketta or Luketta and Brooks those guys that are going to fix it? I I don't. No, so that's the question that I that I still have. I mean, you know, he may end up being a, a multi-year starter, may end up be having a good year next year. But from what we saw this year, that's something that you know he needs to improve. This was a class that they did take care of business, by the way, on the on the home turf. People have been saying where are the Pennsylvania prospects. They signed six of the top ten Pennsylvania high school players in that 2018 class. Nick Tarburton, Jesse Lucetta, of course, in Erie by way of Canada, but Juice Scruggs, Micah Parsons. Jahan Dotson, Zach Koontz, and Koontz is a guy that, that really just has not given you maybe that return that you'd hope you'd get by now with the weight coming on, and maybe that tight end room is passing him by, and that, that's a concern in terms of evaluating the 2018 class because he's a kid who 
uh, you know, just a lot of potential, it would seem, coming out of the prep level. And Charlie Catchier and Tarburn, two other in-state guys who, because of injury issues, it would seem, have not really been able to get their feet underneath them. Uh, but that was a class where they did handle their business in a big way in Pennsylvania, and and that doesn't always guarantee much. Uh, you got you got to get them to campus, and then you see what happens. Um, Sean, that's a, a lot in this episode. It feels like we're working the hot stove uh, for, for for out of the uh, winter meetings with baseball or something, because that is what uh, has has kind of happened here with college football. You said the the the, the signing period is kind of like the draft, and then you got the free agency, and and we're embracing it here at twenty four seven sports, and we got a lot up on lines twenty four seven dot com um i guess we gotta better get back to monitoring that transfer portal because we've we've taken about an hour and a half away from it yeah i'm, I'm just curious to see by the time we post this this evening whether how something else dated. will happen and how much we'll <laughs> miss and how much is dated but i hope everybody uh you know got something out of this hour and six minutes well i guess more than that now when i dropped the audio in for the interview um but no i it's it, i hope everybody had a great holiday uh appreciate the flexibility for for you allowing us to just do one episode a week during this time and like i said i'm i'm not con- completely sure what day it is um but uh we'll, we'll get there and we'll get on the other side of this we'll get back to our regular schedule in the new in the new year and we'll say goodbye to 2020 thank you again 93 episodes if you listen to them all Wow, you really, really appreciate Penn State football, and we really appreciate you. Uh, Enjoy the start of 2021 and hoping we're all on to bigger and better things. Take care, folks. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.